Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fissette. On this episode, we get to meet Spelling. Spelling is the pseudonym of singer, songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist, Christia Cabral. In this chat, Christia and I talk quite a bit about her new record, The Turning Wheel, which is out now on Sacred Bones Records, including the long process of making it, some of the inspirations behind some of the songs, like mysticism, childhood, even tarot cards, and what it was like for her to break out of her solo comfort zone and start writing parts for more people, more players, and welcome more instrumentalists into the fold. We talk a bit about the sort of kismet of signing with Sacred Bones Records in the first place, and we even unpack a little the centerpiece of her new record, Boys at School, which started with a recording of a younger Cabral sent to her by her father. So please enjoy, and thank you for listening. This is me meeting Spelling. Um, I'm in Berkeley right now, but um, yeah, today I'm just going to be catching up on things at the house, so it's nice. It's going to be a day inside. <laughs> Sometimes it's the perfect day. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, how have how have you been over, like over the past few months in general with everything that's yeah. been going on? Yeah, it's been um, it's been good. I guess preparing to release the album has mm-hmm. been. Um, it's been it's been good. It's been a different process from being really absorbed in making it and then it's done and now um, slowly releasing it. It's like wow, <laughs> it feels like it's it's been a really long time coming. So I'm getting more and more anxious to kind of get to the finish line and have it fully released. Um, yeah, I was going to ask because <laughs> we're, we're so close. I mean. Um, you know, for posterity's sake, we should say we're recording this in early June. Your record's coming out in about a month. Um, yeah. So, yeah, how does it feel when you're like this close to releasing something you've been working on for so long? Yeah, like I was saying, it's a little bit of let's just get there because <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so, you know, it's just been a part of my life, just holding that pretty much to myself and, you know, the people who who've listened to it also, um, and my label and such, but, um, it'll be nice to have that out. And, um, but another part of me is a little bit like, mm, now I'm going to have to think about the next thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know it does. It does make it, there is like a finality to finally getting it out. I'm sure. Yeah. How long has it, uh, been finished? I completely had the, you know, the masters and everything done. Um, it's been, I finished it, I think it's been five months. So yeah, five months since it's been completely done. But um, I would say even before that, most of the songs were kind of locked in and I was taking time to just let them sit and then process the mixing and make sure that I was, yeah, ready to let go and, and say, these are the masters and all of that. So yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. How Was it a long process of making it? Oh yeah. I, (laughs) (laughs) um, time is strange. You know, it feels now that it's kind of hard to pinpoint things, but I guess 2019 is when I started writing the songs and I, I did a lot of the writing kind of all in one and I made demos in the summertime. So around like June, 2019 and, um, the demos changed a lot, you know, a lot, uh, evolved and, expanded but I think the core of the songs were were made during the summer um mm-hmm. and so I went about the process of sort of replace you know like like saying here's the demo in a minute like now let's make the song again from scratch so mm-hmm. in my mind and my heart it's like that they've been done since then because it's like the 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 biggest hurdle is yeah writing the core of the song like figuring out what it is and then you know, the ornamentation and the arrangement and all of that comes later. But that, that big summer was like where I did all of the writing um, and felt like I, I really accomplished the album. Mm-hmm. 
concept and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. And so we should mention the album is called The Turning Wheel, and it is coming out in a few weeks at the end of June on Sacred Bones. Um, you know, compared to especially the last record, Maisie Fly, which feels like so long ago now. It does. <laughs> but it was only, what, two years ago? Yeah. I think about. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So comparatively, I mean, Maisie Fly, there, there, I guess there's a similar um, like vibe to them, but the the palette on this new one is so much grander. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have, as you mentioned, some of the arrangements, you have lots of string arrangements and horn arrangements and synths and lot, a lot of varied percussion. Um, it's just sort of a much more um, grandiose kind of instrumentation than you had on, the, on Maisie Fly, which felt a lot more sort of like insular and like little um music boxes kind of mm -hmm. um were, were you always trying to make something after Maisie Fly that was on a bigger scale or was that kind of like happenstance mm -hmm. I guess the trajectory of my entire um music career has been so just going with the wind um <clears throat> I guess now in retrospect releasing Maisie Fly, signing with Sacred Bones Records was kind of the first, to me, like gesture that, you know, you can build a career with your music. And even at that point, I I was like, oh, you know, I, I didn't really know what it would mean. I um, And I made Maisie Fly pretty much in, entirely on my own. I still, you know, I mixed it myself. I produced it. I did everything pretty much mm -hmm. solo. And I had no idea what putting it out would look like and that the, um, you know, that my career would just keep expanding from there. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just, <laughs> you know, this opportunity is here and I'm gonna take it. And um, and so I guess with the success of kind of just understanding like, okay, this feels affirming to have support for the music that I'm making through my label. Um, and the next, I, I, I guess I, for the first time I was seeing like, I have the resources to do this and I, um, I'm fully in it, you know? So I was in grad school when I, when I made Maisie Fly. So I was also entertaining just a lot of different potential paths for myself. Like I thought mm -hmm. I would um, maybe go into education and um, pursue being an art professor or um, an educator. So I was in school <laughs> making this album signed with the music label all while in grad school and still really unsure what my future would hold. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, after releasing Maisie Fly, it kind of just affirmed to me, like, I want to really just focus on music. I really just want this, this, this is right. This is, this is right for me. And so then I guess all of my gears just got, <laughs> got uh, turned on. And so that's just what came from it, I guess. Um, fully re being able to fully realize my visions. Um, and I think stuff that I wrote with Pantheon, with Maisie Fly, I can hear them in the same kind of like caliber grandeur that uh, came out with the turning wheel. It's just, it was just kind of a matter of access and, you know, a matter of um, those limitations of just what I had at the time. And Mm -hmm. um so for turning wheel I'm like let's just go full throttle let's uh, <laughs> let's just do it and see um yeah if I if I push these songs to like how I hear them in my head um how let's see how they'll come out yeah and that I mean hearing you describe it that way that sounds like such an identifiable and um relatable sort of um thought process of a lot of songwriters like you know you want something a certain way of course you do, but you don't always have the means for it. You don't always have the tools or the players or the time or the money. And so it kind of sounds like you're saying like with Turning Wheel, you you got to just sort of like realize your full vision of what these songs wanted to be. Yeah, it did. Was and it was it freeing? It, it came with a new set of <laughs> a new set of challenges, you know, it's sure. Um, uh, for the biggest one being, I guess it's, it's been sort of against my nature as a really, as a really sort of introverted and um, a person that takes their pace. I'm, I work at a very slow pace naturally. Um, and I think that speaks to just sort of my arc too, with finding music so late and 
my lifetime. And um, so that was challenging, just, you know, having the desire to do this thing that really involves interfacing with a lot of people and personalities um, and bringing them into my world, having to be vulnerable and like, here, listen to this demo. And um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just don't put in a million disclaimers, just let them listen. And uh, that was really, that was tough for me. Um, And a lot of times that, I think that was the biggest battle, you know, like uh, with myself around um, just getting over my anxiety, my social anxiety, my, um, my tendency to kind of just like draw in and want to do things solo I I I just it's my natural place to just oh yeah I feel that (laughs) (laughs) definitely feel you on that but you but you had so many people on this record too that like that must have forced you to try to get a little out of your comfort zone to make sure all the pieces were in alignment Mm -hmm. I had to and I had to just face that and um I guess I figured out like even the people that I, I I perceived to be just you know just totally um professional I mean not professional but just um so so experienced and used to this sort of um interfacing and and collaboration it's just unique to every opportunity and and even people that I like thought were so outgoing and confident still harbor like a lot of you know (laughs) a lot of um anxieties also so talking about it was nice and just being like you know like I worked with um, the space player that's here in Oakland. Um, a lot of people recommended him. His name is Julio and he's he's just so talented. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just like nervous to work with someone who just grew up with music and mm-hmm. can, you know, can play with the best and <laughs> people who are, you know, who speak the language of music because I, I don't and how am I going to communicate with them? And so I had to get over that and just be like, yo, I don't really <laughs> know what I'm talking about. I can... I can, um, you know, sing you what I hear. And they were so receptive to that. Like, yeah, it's just, it's all there. It's, you don't have to know the lingo or, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, to have a good idea. So looking at the credits on this record, it's pretty long. Um, You you did have quite a few, um, you know, you had bass players, sax players, a a whole choir, um, string sections and more than one har- harpist. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking at it right now. Um, so with all that being said, what, what did you do? Because I want to know like you physically in the songs, like what are we hearing from you specifically mm-hmm. besides the singing? Cause we know that your the voices are yours. Yeah. Well, wow. That's, I definitely played everything first on my sense mm-hmm. and then had them had them replaced by all the instruments okay so I mapped out everything all of the arrangements and with the strings I did get some help from this person named Ted who helped me because I just knew like okay synth strings can are not the same as a quartet and there's so much more you can do with the quartet and he helped me to like tease out and just expand the arrangements to match the abilities of the quartet so beautifully. So Ted helped with that. And then also with the brass, um, I got help with the arrangements, but everything else I, I laid out and then I kept a lot of it on the synth. So all the synth noise you hear is me playing. Okay. Um, and as well as drum machine programming, I used my um, sequential circuits, drum tracks machine. It's really cool. Um, and what else? I played the, I played a lot of different random percussive instruments, like mm-hmm. um, vibra slap. You can hear that one in <laughs> Little Deer <laughs> and um, tambourine and like accordion sometimes. I have like every single instrument I have at my studio um, and I use them more so because I don't play any particular instrument fluently, but I, um, I can pretty much play a little bit of every instrument <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i i use like accordion for adding like texture and sound and legacy you can hear it kind of at the end and in the middle passage of that song okay. um yeah and oh and also the dilruba which is an instrument i got um in during quarantine i got it at um i got it on reverb this website for music instruments. And I didn't think I would keep it. I was kind of just like, oh, this is a 
cool instrument I've never heard of, but I got really attached to it and I love it. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's on, let's see, it's on the song, The Future, where you can kind of hear, it's this really weepy, um, sort of mournful sounding stringed instrument. It sounds like a viola, but it also echoes. It has like a, a gourd, so it, it hmm. echoes in the sound. So I use it on the future as well as a little deer and um, revolution. It's more, most prominent on revolution in the verses. You can hear it. Okay, yeah, I'll have to look out for that because I'm unfamiliar with that sound. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really, really like sweet sound. So with um, all these layers and all these players and then all the instruments you are physically also adding to the mix um and not to sound flip but how do you know when to stop with a song like how what tells you that okay we've reached we've reached the peak this is we got it like as opposed because I could imagine myself being so excited to be like let's add this and let's add this and let's add this um so where do you how do you know when it's finished is it just a natural feeling (laughs) yeah mostly mostly and Sometimes I, um, I, I think for the most part, it's natural. And there are certain songs that I, I, you know, it's more of like this, this impression that things need to be arranged differently rather than like that there, um, there needs to be more or mm-hmm. less. Um, and usually I go, I kind of just I, I put everything in there that I, I want to hear that I imagine. And then I extract from there. I'm like, you know, do it, put it all out. And then I'll end up just deleting things or like, take that out. Like, what would it sound like if I just took out this whole part that I thought was the foundation? And then mm. he, I like to do that, like just hear it in all ways. So that requires kind of just like pursuing every every train of thought and I really do that tediously (laughs) when I was working (laughs) when I thought I had all the songs pretty much done and ready for mixing I did the mixing in um Athens Georgia uh with uh um yeah with all the songs ready to go except for two and so we got a head start kind of doing the basics of the mixing um Drew Vanderberg was the mixing engineer and yeah, and then as I was listening, I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept finding more things that I wanted to sit with. So we, we would, he was get, trying to be patient with me, but I, um, I had to go like run back to the Airbnb I was staying at and try something just to get it out of my system because right. if not, it would just haunt me. <laughs> yeah. Those like ah, those mistakes that you wish you could change. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, good. it's exactly. good that you have a moment to like get it out of your system, like you say. Totally, and then you know, I there's this track track on um, always. I had this impression that it needed more, it needed something, and I didn't know what. And <clears throat> as we were working in the studio, Drew was like, "Oh, have you? Do you listen to Talk Talk? I love Talk Talk." And I was like, "I kind of did, but not so much." And then. Um, He's like, yeah, my favorite album. Um, you should listen to it at some point. And I was like, okay. And then I put it on in my headphones as I was just, you know, hanging around. And then I was hearing this tambourine drum machine part that like just pops in at certain points. And I was like, that's it. Like, I, I like, this is like the map of how I want to do it in this song. And then mm. I was like, okay, I got to go <laughs> back to my... <laughs> back to my Airbnb and I had my drum machine with me and I just started working like all day on programming this like tambourine line. It's just like one little line, you know, and I already <laughs> had tambourine in the song, but it had to be the drum machine instead of the right. the regular way. <laughs> that reminds me of, um, I was interviewing um, Kristen Hirsch of like Throwing Muses mm-hmm. and um, she was saying the same thing. Like she w- is, sometimes she's in the studio and she's completely alone and she's just fixing this drum, like this drum that no one will ever notice. Exactly. But she needs it to be that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I read also that the uh, album is sort of in two parts that it's, um, it's, was it above and below that they're sort of called? Yeah. Um, is it cleanly like first half, second half, or is it a little bit more interwoven than that? And then what does that, what does that really mean to you? Like for, for us as the listener? Yeah, I think it's, there's some crossover and I try to, I tried to make that flow with the song order. So 
yeah, I think towards the, the, the last song on the above half of the record um, is Emperor with an egg. And I, I was like, let me choose, or I mean, I think it's, it's either Emperor or Weekend. I don't know even anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but both of them, I think, acted sort of as like the closest transition songs to um, the below half. Yeah, Emperor with an egg is the last one on there. And then the opening track of the above side is um, Boys at School. So I think it's pretty, there is a pretty clear distinction um, between the sides. And to me, the above and below concept made sense um, as a way to kind of unify the different moods of the album, um, but also communicate this idea of circulation and transformation um, that I had as the, as the greater sort of um, motif of the album. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, just that, that concept of revolving between like night and day rotation between just these two different modes. Um, yeah, and that came together that way with the above songs, um, just having more of the 70s soul art pop sort of mm -hmm. warm mood, um, just adventurous and more playful. Um, and then the under songs, I mean, the below songs just being darker and slightly, yeah, da slightly darker and gothic and just more chilling and more of that, yeah, past sort of spelling work. Yeah, that sort of like um, darkness is, is pretty evident. I guess I, I hadn't, um, I didn't realize that, it, that there were two halves when I first listened to the record, but mm -hmm. like once I realized that, and now especially once you're explaining it, yeah, th there is quite a shift with Boys at School. Um, yeah tonally just sort of atmospherically like the first half is while it's not exactly like you know the romantic comedy to the second half's like horror movie um mm -hmm. it is a bit more a beat I mean Little Deer is very it's almost like a like Disney but like a little acid drenched yeah <laughs> <laughs> whereas in Boys at School is like kind of nightmarish in a way especially when you start looking at the lyrics mm -hmm. um and then you know, songs like Queen of Wands and The Closer are sort of more nighttimey. So yeah, I guess, I guess it does make sense. I just hadn't put it together. Well, that, that makes me also happy that it doesn't need to be so like that you can listen to it through and through mm -hmm. without it feeling like uh, disrupting or something. Yeah. I don't think it's so rigid mm -hmm. that if you quote unquote miss the concept of it, then you're just like lost. Like yeah. I don't, I don't think that's at all the experience. So yeah, I think, I think that's good. Wonderful. Um, if you don't mind, I know some people get private about this, but could you, could we talk about Boys at School for a moment? Sure. Um, because that was one of the singles. I think it was the second single from the album. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also the longest track on the record. And in a way, to me, sort of the centerpiece, the crux of the record. It's, it, I guess it is that shift, but also it's, it's maybe the darkest moment, maybe the most dramatic moment. Um, what was the origin of that song? Like what, what is that song about or what's the vibe of that song for you in a, from a narrative standpoint? Yeah. Um, so it's a song that, so it was conceived from a sort of hybrid of things. Um, so I have, this collection of cassette tapes that my dad saved for me from when I was younger and I would write songs and um, I had a keyboard so I would like make my own mixtapes <laughs> and I, um, I have a lot of stuff from those collections of tapes that I was just making up when I was a kid and a lot of them are really fun and good and like there's certain piano lines that I've incorporated into the music that I make so um I got the main sort of intro from something that I was doing so that that like sparse piano intro was from mm -hmm. that and then I yeah I rediscovered it and I was listening I was like oh I think I could make something out of this I'm really interested in it and then I um started to try to create it on the synth so I got that that part um mm -hmm. I wrote that on my sequencer and from there I felt like okay <clears throat> it's like kind of feels like two different songs but there's this 
connection I felt like I was just entering into like my childhood self I think by kind of like borrowing that piano melody from when I was a kid and then when I created that synth line that synth riff to me it just had this angsty energy I don't even know you know to me that's one of the just mysteries of making something where um, the sound tells you what it wants to be and it tells you where it wants you to go and I guess yeah the the synth line took me there it took me back to just sort of being in that place of um, being a youth and kind of like where things are out of control but you're starting to understand who you are and um, um, starting to take the reins on um, you know being your own person and being and having to deal with kind of like the um yeah the adolescence of being your own person and um mm-hmm. the the yeah just all of the feelings all of the <laughs> all of the um <laughs> all of the feelings of that stage of your life so it's a very charged I, it just took time me back there <laughs> yeah it's so charged uh, and the rest is kind of just yeah like I said just that mysterious process but I just went there for myself and um was thinking reflecting back on sort of just um um yeah that time in my life where identity was very murky and sort of like repressed for me and um speaking to my former self like it was a a way of sort of just like communicating with my younger self and expressing it in that way now that I'm like sort of a person that's doing things that I you know dreamed about but didn't see for myself and I found this like I found music, I found this way to um, express myself that's so fulfilling and um, gratifying. So I was like, yeah, this is this is like dedicated to to that, <laughs> mm. to my younger self. Yeah, that, that must have been, those tapes I could feel like would give me quite a head trip, like a time capsule <laughs> head trip. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like it to is. hear the, like the, the artifacts from your youth that you probably never would have remembered and then you have like the proof that they existed. I know it's super strange. It's, it's like that's there's no way that that's me, but, but you just have to believe it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad that he saved them because yeah, I had no idea that he did, and um, it's just yeah, a total treat to. It's kind of like when you watch old home movies and you're like, I did that. Like I was there. Like I did that mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So across the record, there um is sort of as you say, kind of that um that darker vibe that you that you mentioned was kind of more prominent maybe on full older spelling records as opposed to just like mostly the second half of this one. Um, I feel like when Maisie Fly came out, it was sort of lumped in, and maybe you agree or disagree with this genre label, but I feel like it was lumped in with like, you know, like the witch house kind of stuff. Yeah. Like that very witchy, um, dark, gothy kind of stuff. Did you Did you ever like like care at all about that or did you like kind of resent that label or resist that label (laughs) um I don't know I find it I found that there was there were so many different labels sort of being thrown around Mm -hmm. that it didn't seem like I I felt like I was evading any one particular and so that that made me happy and because I don't know I don't think I don't ever think about the genre I'm making when I make it yeah. or how it'll like where it'll fit in so it's not really like something that gets in my head but I I I, I am totally down like I I love like <laughs> witch house I love like goth music and mm-hmm. so and and you know I draw influences from everything not just that but um I I don't really care however people want to label it um right. with that when it came to turning wheel I guess <laughs> my label was helping to write like the little sticker that'll go on the vinyl mm-hmm. that's supposed to give like a little uh yeah quick tidbit on what the sound is and it wants they want it to be the most like to be able to draw someone who's never heard of my music before and to say oh this is this is what I'm gonna hear so that was really hard because it's like is it soul? Is it R&B? Like to try to give it one of those really generic labels felt like really unsatisfying because, and like even jazz, like Carrie, Carrie, my manager was like, oh, it's, it's kind of, it's got jazz influences too, right? Like revolution. And it's like, I'm like, I guess so, but I would never think (laughs) of 
I would never think to say I make jazz music or that right. it's like any one thing. So it's kind of like where where does the record end up in the record shop? Like exactly. which label yeah. is it under? And I I don't have a guess either. <laughs> yeah, I guess I've seen it like just kind of be an indie section, indie music, mm. which is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, it is funny that you mentioned your label, though, because as I said before, you, you, you've been uh, this is your second record um, on Sacred Bones. And to me, what you make feels so Sacred Bones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it is such a good marriage. Um, in my mind, your your work being on Sacred Bones, there's just something about because they have a very carefully curated aesthetic. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like cranky in that way or um any of the i don't know there are some labels that are relatively large now that still try to hone in on a hone in on an aesthetic and i do feel like your work is so perfectly matched with with them yeah um but you had actually released one record before you released with them when you released your sophomore record macy fly um which was your uh debut for them so how did you link up with them so I, yeah, I put on my first album that I put out was Pantheon of Me. Um, and I guess that had been out in the world for a little while and was starting to get some buzz around um, the Bay Area where I live. And yeah, just, I remember seeing it sort of take off and people reaching out to me after that, after I put that out. And I was, you know, totally not not expecting anything from putting that music out I was just I hadn't even really been playing shows or anything like that like I'd play like a few shows and um do stuff around Oakland but I started to get requests or offers and sort of like inquiries about signing with labels and to me that was just like whoa I'm like (laughs) over my head I don't know I don't know what that means or why would I do that um and I was just kind of rejecting everything, just felt overwhelmed. And I, you know, I was like, people don't understand. I'm just, I literally don't know what I'm doing. Like I have Fruity Loop Studio, like free edition. And that's how <laughs> I made Pantheon of Me. And I have one synthesizer and a loop pedal and that's it. Like I have the micro Korg <laughs> and that's, that's all. And I don't know, I don't know anything about the music industry. So I felt really overwhelmed. Um, and I had gotten a like inquiry from Sacred Bones and kind of just also just kind of overlooked it because I didn't, I, I like remember I knew about them and knew about David Lynch and like some of the artists on their label. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is really cool, but also this is New York based. Like what would I, yeah, how would I make this work? And so I kind of just was I couldn't deal with it and um many months went by and I started to talk with um Christina Esfandiari who's mm-hmm. of the project King Woman right um who was out here in Oakland and we'd become friends um I like reached out to her and I was like I don't really know what to do like could I talk to you and kind of just like talk out some of these things she's like yeah anytime so we like had a phone call and I remember she was being really like encouraging specifically about sacred bones. She's just like, I just think that's a really good fit. And, um, you know, you're just such a unique, like you have such a unique sound and vision. I think that like, it makes sense for you to align with a label that, um, is going to sort of like nurture that intrinsically, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever Christina says, you know, <laughs> right. I'm down. Um, <laughs> But no, it just felt good to have a someone I've seen, you know, because I remember going to see a King Woman show before I had made Pantheon of Me and just like being so in awe and kind of like, this is so badass. Like I want, I like, she was giving me the inspiration to do, to do things before I was. And so seeing like, you know, there's, she's navigating this. I have people I can like turn to for help, um, gave me that little push. And so mm-hmm. I just went for it. And it worked out. Yeah. Apparently. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah. I'm, so I'm really happy there now. Did they, um, I'm assuming they pretty much were like, yeah, do whatever you want with this record, <laughs> the turning wheel. 
yeah so um same with Maisie Fly I was kind of just like hey make music and I'm like okay. <laughs> that's, that's nice <laughs> yeah and um with Turning Wheel I, I they didn't know the caliber of I didn't even know the caliber of of um of the sound like how ambitious it was going to be mm-hmm. as I was after I made the demos I sent them the demos and you know I know I felt like I want to do a lot more with these like here like use your imagination as you listen to these demos because I'm hearing something way bigger and I'm gonna need a lot more time for it and they're like okay totally on board and supportive and then as I started actually going about making it I'm like okay no I'm gonna need a lot more resource so (laughs) um I had to do some fundraising to really get make that work beyond Mm -hmm. what you know beyond what my label could give me um because I needed room. I needed a little bit of room for for error also because this is my first time producing and making. So, you know, making sure I found the right people and kind of like all of that takes resources. So, yeah, um, the Kickstarter was really successful and, and, you know, got a lot of support from people in the Bay Area and beyond all over the place um, who went ahead and just pre-ordered the album and all that money went into um, making it, making it possible. Oh, nice. Yeah. So your music is very often classified in, in many of the ways that we've been talking about. It's largely, I think, discussed about, at least since Maisie Fly and now with these new singles and the upcoming album, it's largely talked about in terms of it's like atmosphere and, you know, the vibe and the sounds. And there are a lot of really, really interesting sounds and textures, um, especially on the turning wheel. But from a lyrical standpoint, um, do you consider yourself a strictly biographical lyricist or are you more someone who more dabbles in like incorporating the fictional, incorporating um, sort of a creation into your songs? Mm-hmm. Not strictly biographical in any way. Mm-hmm. I guess pretty much the opposite. I, I, I don't know, it's just maybe those, um, that binary isn't even relevant because yeah. I I do write, it's, I act more, I try to act more of just a vessel for the sound first. I mm-hmm. listen to, you know, whatever the sound is doing and then create from there. So sometimes it's, it's usually a, a combination of like the um, very personal and intimate, but I allow my, I allow the like, creation to go beyond me and I um I feel like that's when it's most successful so yeah um like for instance the track legacy um is really one of the more abstract songs lyrically Uh, I'm singing um there's a legacy that I want to take over out of my mind and into the daylight um and that you know, it's, I think it kind of speaks to everyone because I'm writing about the idea of just like entering the world um, and and what you inherit when you're born, you know, mm-hmm. into your family circumstances or just into the, the surroundings that you're, that you enter into geographically. And um, so usually I think my lyrics have a sort of layer of like the real, like the real layer of just like, um, there's yeah there's just multiple layers of meaning um so I I with that song it's like yeah you can interpret it as that just like what each person sort of is brought into when they into the world but also I think about them in a sort of mystical way too like in a sort of Mm -hmm. universal level where I'm like so I I think about those things and I was imagining like in utero like a sort of like baby entering the world and like the like the process of birth and all of the sort of um birth as this like gothic thing right it's like this big passageway into an unknown dimension so I go there like magically with I try to go into the realm of like double meaning um so that I think from the surface people can connect to it and just hear like oh this is a song like this is a song about I don't know just like change or transformation but then it, it always has this sort of like other meaning behind it yeah and and you mentioned you 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 came at that from a sort of mystical, um, larger scale sort of point of view. Is that something that pops up throughout the album? Because I was also sort of taken with the um, the Queen of Wands tarot card illusion. Yeah. Um, 
is that something that actually sort of is worked into this album? Totally. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I used tarot to write and I used it this for the first time um, for Turning Wheel. I started drawing cards and sort of just getting interested in tarot was something that people always were like, you would love tarot cards and the all of the like symbolism and art is like totally all you and I was I just didn't have a deck and then someone got one for me and this was in like my last year of grad school so I I started to use them for writing and um they yeah I feel like every song in my mind on the album sort of represents a different card Mm. because I would yeah study it and kind of just read about it and utilize the um symbology um to help me write lyrics and yeah queen of wands um trying to remember how that song came together it it was a really fun one to make i wrote it on my um sequential circuit six track synth and had that really deep sort of bass going Mm -hmm. and um it kind of felt like a song where it's like sort of jumping, like jumping in the middle of, of a world that already existed. And um, instead of like, I don't know, instead of like giving you everything from the beginning, like Little Deer, I feel like that song unfolds and unfolds, but Queen of Wands kind of just like the way the bass comes in kind of just feels like you're like you're yeah. in the throes of it. <laughs> um, and so that, yeah, I, I drew the Queen of Wands to kind of get the lyrics together. And I'm like, ah, I just felt like I was defining this character that's, um, you know, got a, a sh- yeah, she's just like alluring you into her domain of, um, of temptation, of like, you know, understanding your relationship to power. I think that's what that song is about. It's like, you know, um, she's trying to just, show you what you know are are you are you willing to step into your power to to like meet your challenges and Hmm. that's what that card is about and I think the song is kind of addressing the listener specifically like um to question what yeah how they think about power in themselves and like how they relate to it in the world that's so interesting that you um used the cards like as a conduit for a lot of the material because kind of similar to the above below concept it's not like it hits you over the head like you don't I don't think you need because I'm not I don't think you need to be familiar you know with what the cards represent to sort of enjoy and and get a lot out of it but yeah maybe if you do there's gonna be some breadcrumbs for you (laughs) yeah I think so totally that's how I wanted it to operate and yeah I don't ever want to like I mean (laughs) with the song emperor with an egg I was doing an I was doing an interview with someone who was just like I just want to like can you explain what that song is about (laughs) and and like like I said it's always so difficult to pinpoint when it's it's so many things Mm -hmm. and I just let it be that but I'm like yeah it is I drew some influences from the tarot card the emperor but then also I literally thought about emperor penguins because of that connection (laughs) just with the word and so I just went with it and I was like should I like hammer it in with the lyrics at the end saying I can feel a leopard seal. <laughs> I just thought it was. Really I know. Funny. I, I I caught that line too, and I was just gonna be like, you know what? I'll let, I'm just not even gonna try <laughs> to analyze that. <laughs> but now, now it makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just funny um, to play with that a little bit too, and <clears throat> be playful with the with the lyrics. Well, yeah, because as dark and as as bewitching as some of as a lot of the record is, there is a sense of humor to it. I think you know there is a playfulness to it especially the first half and I think that comes through yeah I think so too so assuming the world continues to get better what would a tour for this record even look like would you need like a big team of people or would you try to simplify and sort of reorient the songs to play in a smaller capacity mm-hmm. I want to be prepared for both I think yeah. it would just fulfill my dream to get to do a really nice big um full orchestration performance for a special event mm-hmm. um but yeah for a tour or for I, I'm thinking about other configurations because I think they can totally come through in that way too um more pared down um 
but definitely going acoustic and I'm working on that right now about the live performance and Mm -hmm. sort of starting to wrap my mind around what that'll look like. And I'm really interested in incorporating um, performance art and movement. Um, Jenny Haval is someone who's on my label, who's done that Mm -hmm. with her work where there's this element of, of movement and, um, you know, sort of like bringing a different kind of element of theater to the performance that I'm interested in. So that's something I'm thinking about and trying to kind of study up. And I think it's nice to know that, I guess, uh, people out in the world have sort of been, what's the word? I don't want to say groomed, but like um, opened up to the idea of performance coming through in in new ways. And I think, um, you know, with just watching things virtually and like, um, I think people will just have a like a lot, but we'll be excited to to um, engage with alternative sort of performance art in like traditionally music venues. Um, yeah. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, and I mean, on one, on uh, you know, on another hand, the um, you know, the record is the record, and the show can be the show. Like you can totally yeah. make it something different. Totally. Um, so we have arrived at my latest segment, which is a lightning round. Um, which is every time I start this I'm like I think this will be the last time I do this (laughs) but I just like you know the first several of these shows that I did you know ending them can be sort of hard and weird so Mm. I'm like we'll just do a lightning round and then we'll call it a day so just three questions I always think they're going to be really easy and then they're not Um, so question one would be for you what would you say is the most underrated instrument Ooh, most underrated instrument. I love questions like this. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm inclined to say the Dilruba because mm-hmm. I, I just, I just think it's, it's so, um, it's a lot easier to play than like a viola or a violin. I found because I have both and it just requires such a masterful dexterity to be able to play a violin. Mm -hmm. And with the Dilruba, you can still tap into the beauty of like using a bow and um, getting that like portamento and the like, just that contact and intimacy of playing a stringed instrument, but you slide your fingers on it and you only play one string. So it makes it so like, it's like, yeah, it's just so much easier to like (laughs) get into the groove of it. So to me, it's like, wow, I feel like, um (laughs) it's uh yeah totally underrated and um can blend in to like almost any sound it's really adaptable Hmm. and um kind of can just like disguise itself in in a lot of different tones depending on how you play it like you can make it really dramatic or you can make it like really sweet and um have like make it have attack and you can do everything i love it sounds like a good instrument to take on tour (laughs) yeah I don't know and if you would be able to really play it beautiful. while you perform, but someone could. Uh, yeah, you have to sit down <laughs> playing it. That's the only thing. It's yeah. like, it's kind of awkward to hold, but you know, it's worth it. So second question, maybe you have don't even have an answer for this, but uh, what is your favorite Bjork song? Oh my gosh. <laughs> or give me uh, like two, I don't know. <laughs> I know, I, I know so it's hard. a hard question. I actually do have one my favorite Bjork song is Cocoon mm. from, from Vespertine I don't know yeah, why great. that song just does something to me so I've always felt pretty confident about that but I know it's kind of a hard question it's so hard I mean I I don't think this is my favorite one but it's one that just is is um what's the word it's just dear to me because I used to nanny and I had the the album post as a mm-hmm. cd in my car and the kids just I got them I was just so proud to get them hooked on Bjork because (laughs) (laughs) their family just like didn't like play them a lot of music so um yeah and so the song possibly maybe was oh what a weird song for kids to like (laughs) they loved that song they were just asked so many questions about it like I I just I, I remember them finding the cd in the in the back seat of my car like what is this and I was like this is <laughs> this is god no <laughs> this is uh let's just put it on <laughs> yeah let's just let's just give it a spin yeah <laughs> possibly maybe is a that is a great song 
Um, it is. It's so strange. Is that the? Is that the video? No, I was gonna say is that the video with the egg, but that's Venus as a boy. Venus as a boy, yeah. No, possibly, maybe it's just like got all these different moods of light, and it's got that. I love how she uses the the phone ring. As mm-hmm. a, I know. Yeah, it's so loop. cool. So cool. That is a very cool song. Um, all right, and finally, um, what are some of your ideal things to do when you have a day just to yourself? I love a day just to myself. Like I get so <laughs> cranky when I have to do anything with anybody. I love being home. <laughs> I, I um, feel that. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that's my default. I just want to be by myself. Um, when I get to have a day, I like to sleep in mm-hmm. hardcore. Um, and then I have a lot of plants at my house. So I like play music for them and water them all and just sort of like reset everything and I have a dog, so I love to cuddle with her. She's actually not a huge cuddler, but I just like, like, come on, just yeah, cuddle. You're like, just do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and go on walks. So I'll just punctuate the day, like being inside and just luxuriating in my own time, being unbothered by people. And then go on walks around Berkeley, which is beautiful right now because there's so many flowers. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just great to like, yeah, I like to be on my two feet and just walk around and listen to music. Yeah, I went to um, San Francisco, I think, three years ago, and it was my first time in the Bay Area. Um, and it was spring, and it, it was lovely. So just nice. the weather, so nice, breezy, sunny, lots of trees and flowers. It was so nice. Yeah. I was sad I didn't get to go to Berkeley, too, because I've always been told I'd probably like Berkeley. Yeah, come come back one day. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Christia. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for giving me your time today. And um, I'm excited for people to hear this record. I'm not sure 100% if it'll be out when this comes out or if it'll be just <laughs> before this or just after this comes out. But if it's out, people, please go listen to it. It's um, a wonderful adventure, that album. Um, so thank you very much for the music and thank you for your time talking to me today. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks for the great questions. Yeah. Thanks for the great conversation. (laughs) Take care. You too. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. Bye.